0: Well good morning everyone. Uh, My name is Andy Bruins. I'm the pastor of the church here and together now we're going to look at those verses that we just read from Psalm 78. If you've got a Bible uh, it'd be really good if you had that open in front of you so you can see uh, the truths that we're looking at together. But before we do that we're going to start with prayer. Father please help us to hear what you have to say to us this morning as we look into your living word lord we pray that you would speak to us and that you would bless us this morning we pray amen now there are many uh, incredible stories of bravery and of noble sacrifice that we could think about this morning on remembrance sunday as we remember those who've lost their lives to protect our freedoms but perhaps one of the most remarkable and incredible stories, one of my favourites, is the story of what happened at Dunkirk in 1940, where the lives of over 335,000 troops were saved. An incredible story. Now, many have undertaken to uh, write the story of what happened in May and June of 1940. Uh, and I believe they've even made a recent film about it, which I do intend to watch at some point. But the basic gist is as follows. The British, French, and Belgian forces on the continent had been overwhelmed, seriously overwhelmed. And they were encircled by the German forces. And so they had to make a hasty, a hasty uh, retreat The front had collapsed on continental Europe and the British army was surrounded and facing the prospect, actually the real prospect of total annihilation. The Germans were gathered around ready to pounce only 10 miles or so away from uh, the allied forces and the decision had been reached that the only course of action was to retreat to the coast and to withdraw all British troops from the continent but the only viable port was Dunkirk. It was the only place they could retreat to. And Dunkirk was already under serious threat from German forces. Back at home, Churchill was preparing himself for the task of announcing the greatest military disaster in our long history. He said this, I thought, and some good judges agreed with me, that perhaps 20,000 or 30,000 men might be re-embarked. The whole root and core and brain of the British Army seemed about to perish upon the field or to be led into ignominious and starving captivity. And so Operation Dynamo was launched. British destroyers under Admiral Ramsey were employed to rescue all that they could carry home on their vessel. But this plan was fraught with problems. They could only transport a maximum of perhaps 30,000 troops. And anyway, they couldn't bring the ships in to land because the Luftwaffe had pummeled Dunkirk harbour, filling the waters with wrecked vessels. The only alternative then for the troops to come to was the beaches. But of course, the waters were too shallow to make that viable. And anyway, all of this was a moot point because the troops couldn't make it to the coast anyway because of the heavy German air offensive. At this point, very interesting, King George VI spoke to the nation and requested that a national day of prayer be held on Sunday the 26th of May 1940. And the nation responded. Churches were packed out up and down the land. The pavements outside Westminster Abbey were lined with thousands waiting their turn to enter and to pour out their requests to God. And the miraculous did indeed happen. First, Hitler halted the advance just at the point where he could have completely annihilated the Allied armies. No one knows why. As I say, the troops were only 10 miles away. Churchill speculated in his memoirs that Hitler must have believed air superiority would be sufficient to prevent a large-scale evacuation by sea. Secondly, a storm, and I quote, of unprecedented fury broke over Flanders on the 28th of May, grounding the Luftwaffe and not allowing their squadrons to, uh, to take off, which allowed the British Army to move on foot to the coast under the cover of cloud and darkness and rain. Third. Somewhat freakishly, a great calm settled over the Channel, despite this raging storm in Flanders. And for the days that followed, the Channel was described as being like a mill pond, allowing even the smallest vessel to cross over. And every available vessel did, perhaps you know the story, a flotilla of small vessels, motorboats, fishing smacks, Trawlers, lifeboats, even paddle steamers, incredibly, crossed the channel and ferried the waiting troops from the beaches to the destroyers anchored in the deeper water. Some of these little boats even carried troops all the way back home. Some of them even returned for a second go to bring our boys home. So great was this deliverance and, in the eyes of the nation, so obviously an act of God, that Sunday the 9th of June was appointed as a national day of thanksgiving. The Daily Telegraph stated, and I quote, The prayers of the nation were answered. The God of hosts himself has supported the valiant men of the British Expeditionary Forces. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And so on this Remembrance Sunday, as we look at the 78th Psalm that we just had read to us, my first point is this, is that we should remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Now, for many, Remembrance Sunday is an opportunity to remember those that have lost their lives in conflicts, the great human sacrifice that's been made on our behalf by the armed armed forces. But it's also important that we do not forget, amidst all of this, what God has done for us. The psalmist who wrote the psalm that we read earlier would agree, would he not? Listen to those opening verses again. He starts, O my people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have Heard and known what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. Now, this is so important. History is important. I hope you know that. You know, good history is important, and bad history. Is important. We shouldn't try to erase the past or try to whitewash what happened in years gone by. If we forget what's gone past, we know, don't we, we find ourselves foolishly falling into the same pitfalls as those who went before us. But more important still, we need to see, as author A.T. Pearson said, that history is his. Story, That is, that God has been at work behind the scenes in all of world history. We must learn to recognise his sovereign hand at work in what goes on in the world. Much going on in the world at the moment, isn't there? Many today would simply want to write off the miracles of Dunkirk as just... Happy coincidences and good fortune, wouldn't they? But when we fail to see the hand of God at work, the next generation finds it very easy to completely erase God out of the question. I guess this is one of the reasons why Britain has largely become a secular nation uh, since those days of World War II. By which I mean that now the vast majority of us live our lives with absolutely no reference to God at all, don't we? I found it very telling when the coronavirus pandemic uh, first struck earlier on this year. People were, once again, you know, filled with dread and fear. Nationally, we were frightened, and yet there was no voice from our government, no voice from royalty. Calling us to get on our knees. Instead, instead of turning to God, we turned to ourselves, didn't we? Rather than calling on God, we called on the NHS and the scientists who are cooking up vaccines for us. And that is where we placed our hope. That is where we looked to for salvation. You see, a nation that forgets the God who made them will inevitably fill the void left from the God that they have forgotten, with other gods, small g gods, gods that are of their own making, things to worship. Which is why the psalmist warns us here not to hide these things from our children, but to remember them. We should tell the next generation, he says, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, what God has done, lest they forget him. But it's not just God's deeds that need to be remembered. Have a look how the psalmist goes on. He also tells us that we must remember what God has said in verses five to seven. Let me read them to you. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. You see, deeds and commands. So not only should we pass on our heritage of what God has done, but also what God has said to us. You know, we are an incredibly blessed nation. It's hard to argue we're not, isn't it? But we are particularly blessed in that we have more translations and copies of the word of God of the Bible in circulation than you can shake a stick at. You can walk into any bookshop in any town in this country and just pick up a copy of the Bible in your own language. Staggering to think, isn't it? We're we're, we're one of those first generations that can do this. You can get a full copy of the Word of God delivered to your door in less than 24 hours from Amazon Prime, should you wish to. What a privilege. And many of us take advantage of these privileges, but do we read it? Do we know what it even says, what's inside it? Do we know it? You know, I often ask people that I meet, people who have strong opinions about God, people who think they have a really strong opinion about the Lord Jesus as well, I often ask them the question, have you ever actually opened a Bible and read it? You've got a lot of opinions there. What are they based on? I mean, I say to them often, you know, you can read through something like Mark's Gospel, an account of Jesus' life and his sayings. You can read through that or listen to it being read to you in about 90 minutes. And yet, very few people have ever taken the time to do that. But previous generations were somewhat different, weren't they? And the fact is that the blessing of knowing the laws and the commands of God, knowing the word of God, has transformed the Western world over the centuries. Have you ever, perhaps naively, asked that question, you know, What's Christianity ever done for us then? Well, the word of God has shaped our world in more ways than you might think, especially Western civilization. It was directly as a result of reading and applying the truths found in the Bible that resulted in, for example, the formation of hospitals caring for the poor. Think about that. According to the historian Virginia Smith, no civilian hospital existed until the Christian period. Nobody even thought of looking after the common people like that. Christians, concerned that everyone might be able to read God's word, came up with the idea of education for all, not just health care for all, but education for all, not just the rich. It was because of the truths found in this book That men like William Wilberforce fought and succeeded in the abolition of slavery and the slave trade. Women like Elizabeth Fry reformed our prisons. The word of God laid the foundations for the legal system that we enjoy in this country. Heavily underpinning documents like the Magna Carta. Think about this. The Christian influence in the Magna Carta gave us trial by jury, due process of law, the right to own private property, no imprisonment without trial, no taxation without representation, freedom of religion and the subjection of the king to the law. Imagine what our country would look like without those things. It's the very foundation and underpinning of everything we hold sacred as British people, isn't it? It was Christians who read the Bible that have always championed and still championed the rights of the vulnerable. They were the first to do that. They were the first to fight the cause of the sanctity of human life, all human life, including children, who were treated like they were little more than possessions until the word of God came to play on the culture. These are the blessings that come from knowing and remembering and passing on the word of God generation after generation but if we forget if we move away if the next generation just leaves this book on the shelf to gather dust well we do so at our own peril and that's what the psalmist wants us to see you see that's why the psalm continues the way it does it's a very long psalm this but The remainder of this psalm recounts the history of the nation of Israel, talking about and warning about how former generations forgot both what the Lord had had done and what the Lord had said, and they did so to their destruction. So my third point is this, in verses 8 to 17 there, we are to remember those who forgot, to remember those who forgot and to learn the lesson from them. The psalmist entreats his generation to remind their children of these things. So that, verse 8, look, they would not be like their forefathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And verses 9 to 17 they then recount how despite the fact that God has done so much for them, Yet they ended up in rebellion, in ungratefulness, and in disobedience to God, to their own destruction. Verses 11 and 12 put their finger on the problem, if you look. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, yet they forgot. It's amazing when you think about it, actually, and perhaps you know a little bit of the story of the nation of Israel. Here were a people, here were a generation who had seen things far more dramatic than the miracles of Dunkirk. They had lived through the plagues of Egypt that's in the Nile, filled with blood. Plagues of gnats and flies and frogs and boils, hail and locusts that wiped out the crops and cattle of Egypt, whilst at the same time sparing the possessions of the Israelite neighbours. They had lived through the darkness falling on the land and the angel of death who took the lives of Egypt's firstborn. They had left Egypt, left their captivity, guided, imagine this, by a pillar of flame by night, by a pillar of cloud by the daytime amazing things and it's in the sea part so that they could cross over the middle on dry dry ground and then and then close again and wash away their enemies staggering sights they'd seen and even that same generation a short while later it seems are doubting that god can provide them with the basics of food and water doubting that he'll be able to deliver to them the promised land that he'd offered to them and evidently also they did a poor job of passing on the record of these wonders to their children this was a generation that forgot that forgot and as the german philosopher hegel observed the one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history isn't that true Let's be honest, with all the best intentions, our memories are often very poor. You know, that's why, despite the fact that I love my mum to bits, I still have a reminder in my diary every week to call her. Because if I don't, I'm prone to forgetting. Do you see, likewise, it is quite possible to forget God, even though we depend on him. Even though he has done so much for us. Even if he did the greatest deed in history, it's quite possible to forget him, isn't it? Because that is what the human heart is like forgetful. And that's why we must keep reminding ourselves. I don't know if you've ever visited villages, Uh, if you like to go uh, on a Sunday afternoon, go visit a village. Many of our villages in this land have war memorials. They are big memorials naming the residents of the locality that gave their life in either or both of the world wars. And on them you will find this common inscription, Lest we forget We understand the importance of remembering the cost of war in lives of lost loved ones. And you'll actually see something very similar in churches. I don't know if you've noticed this. You go into a, a church in these villages as well and walk up to the front, you'll find a table or perhaps an altar as it's sometimes called at the front of the church which bears these words This do in remembrance of me. It's a line from Jesus when he first instigated what we now call uh, the Lord's Supper or communion. Some churches call it the Mass or the Eucharist. Jesus gave this instruction on the eve of his crucifixion, knowing that the very next day he was going to make the ultimate sacrifice. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is something that is ingrained in our culture, isn't it? You you can hardly walk around town without seeing the symbol of the cross somewhere. And yet it is my experience that many people I meet have no real understanding of the true significance of that symbol. It's a popular view that Jesus died on the cross to set us an example of self-sacrifice and love. That's what people think the cross means. And in a sense, that's true. It's certainly not, not true. But it doesn't actually come close to understanding what really happened on the cross, what the cross was really all about. To understand any great deliverance, you've got to understand the peril from which those rescued were delivered think about it you know the story of Dunkirk would be would be somewhat meaningless if you told people nothing of the great peril that loomed over those 335,000 souls if you said nothing about the fact that they were hemmed in by superior forces nothing about the air offensive that was raining down death from the skies well, all you're left with is a story of a a pleasant boat ride across the channel, aren't you? Likewise, to understand the cross, you have to understand the great peril that looms over mankind, over you and over me. You have to understand that all of us, myself included, are lost and ruined by sin. That the inclination of every human heart is to rebel against our maker and live our lives like as if he is an utter irrelevance to us you have to be able to see that the fruit of this is plain in the devastation that we see that we leave behind us when we reject god when we damage relationships with others when we get caught up in our own self-interests god's word declares that none of us no matter how good we think we are measure up to the standard that god requires from us and that as a result of that we are by nature as human beings then as ruined sinful human beings objects of his anger ripe for judgment after this short life is over this is our peril if you don't see that you've got no idea what the cross is about God will hold us accountable for the way that we have lived our lives and the things that we have or haven't done. And if coronavirus has taught us anything, it has reminded us that we cling to this life by a very fine thread. But it was at the cross that Jesus stepped in and gave himself to save us it was there that the innocent son of god laid down his life in the ultimate sacrifice to rescue sinners like you and me and we dismiss or we forget that truth at our peril and so in closing i invite you today if you've never done so to start remembering today not just those who've given their lives in the great conflicts of the world but to start to remember the lord make today the day that you come to god in prayer make it your day of prayer to ask for his deliverance for that is a prayer that he still loves to answer let me close for us in prayer now father we do thank you for your great acts of deliverance in the past for how time and time again you have shown yourself to be sovereign over history and faithful to protect and to provide for your people and we thank you for your son the lord jesus christ who gave his life to redeem sinners to make us right with you help us never to forget what you have done for us And, Father, we do pray that many in our nation, in our town, in our neighbourhood, would even today turn back to you, call upon you for mercy, and come to know the peace and the joy of that salvation purchased on the cross for us. For we ask it all now in the glorious name of our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen where we're going to sing a song in closing that talks about what our Saviour has accomplished on the cross for us. The words of this song are, are wonderful, so please do pay attention to them. We're going to sing this song, The Power of the Cross.